Hello and welcome to the 1L2N Podcast. I am Amy and I'm joined by some very stinky people today. Missy? I'm super gross. Mike? What's a shower? Tommy? I took a shower in my sweat because I just ran. And our stinkiest guest, Liam. Yo. Um, we should all be taking showers right now, but instead we're here to bring you some content, like going through the story writing process and bringing you along for the ride. Today I have a very interesting question, actually, and I gotta get my thing. Hold on. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to <laughs> Okay, today I have a question for you. Do you think that birds would be the longest survivors? other than the zombies in a zombie apocalypse. Go, discuss. And here's my reasoning. Because I guess there's, there's a two-part sort of system to this. Because one is, do you believe that zombies are created when you get bitten or if like any part of them gets inside of you? So like if you happen to eat their flesh, up, oh, you're turning into a zombie. Well, there's the walking dead concept where it's a virus that basically infects the entire globe so but it doesn't activate until you're dead yeah it, it, it depends upon the rules that you put for it um That's first true. of all if we're doing real life rules like we've already discussed birds are drones they're not real <laughs> true so, sure we have established it. wrong concept to begin with all but, right. Well, then I guess never mind. I guess the, from that's the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, all I got. The actual rules that we're going for are birds. Is the virus going to infect everything alive? Are we basing it on only infecting humans? I'm just basing it upon the fact that everything can get infected, but like a zombie has to like bite. You know mm. what I mean? Because that's uh, like a typical zombie thing, right? But the birds, birds are like. They're winning. Or bite or scratch. They've won. So right? your only... idea is that because they can fly away, they can escape being bitten. Yeah, because well, it's not even just that. Is like the only thing that they would. I'm thinking they would go for is like you see, like you know, movies where there's like crows eating the eyeballs out or eating the guts out of of like bodies on on a field on a battlefield, and you know that may be how they got infected. But I don't. I feel like uh, most birds don't eat flesh like that and so i feel like and because they're skittish like you unless you've trained a bird to come up to you a lot of birds are like they're like oh nope bye so i feel like it'd be very hard to <laughs> what like what, what, what's up? Th this like professional ornithology lesson here is wonderful birds are skittish they don't usually eat flesh i it's just fantastic <laughs> All right, never mind. Let's go with a different question. Anyone else have anything Damn. to talk about? Jeez Louise. No, no. I want to know the rules. I want to know the rules behind this. And I think that is the important part. Do So if a zombie can infect any animal, does it have to be a human zombie bite? Or can it be a bite from a tick? Oh. Is it the worms, biting aspect? Are the worst. I'd say like biting or scratching. That's like a typical like zombie thing, right? Like, oh, I yeah. got scratched, and now I'm going to turn into a zombie. you got to shoot me. But not until the most dramatic moment in the movie. I don't think <laughs> birds would be the last to go. I'm trying to think of an animal species that you could never want to go around. Like, every other animal goes, no, 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 that's, I don't want to be by that particular thing. Does it have to be animal species, or can it be just species? 
doesn't define, I guess have to be define well, non-animal species animals, besides yeah. like okay tardigrades water bears like them suckers can live in volcanic areas the bottom of the ocean freaking vacuum of space like they feel like they could survive in places that infected creatures couldn't get to therefore killing the virus before it gets to them does that make sense yeah yeah i don't know i think this this is why yeah this is why science fiction is difficult (laughs) or science Mm -hmm. fantasy stuff is because when you are trying to create these crazy worlds and you start answering these questions it all falls apart and eventually you're just gonna have to go just shut up just deal with it it's why you just accept the rules in any time travel movie because you're not like yeah well i could easily pick this apart but i'm not going to true true yes no Um, unless the movie or show or whatever breaks its own rules no just that's where like i'll accept it if you tell me here's a rule about this universe about this world and this rule governs what's going on i will accept it regardless of how dumb it is when you start breaking your own rules then what's the point of having that rule so i'm gonna start questioning everything yeah i feel like in one way or another most time travel movies do break their own rules though probably you probably have to break your own rules at some point like back to the future part two would have been a terrible movie if they didn't break their own time travel yeah. rules yeah. It, there wouldn't have been a movie. that was exactly yeah. what i was thinking, was thinking. yeah you, you kind of just scoot over it and go eh, you know what we'll just pretend like that didn't happen and it makes for a much better script but then you get some nerdy person like me who's going well, is it a zombie bite or is it a tick bite? And then you go, <laughs> I hate you. Please shut up. Let me just enjoy this fantasy. No. Amy, do you think that birds would be around? Yeah. Because I think that they can get to places that other zombies couldn't. They'd be way... I feel like they are more skittish. I don't normally see a lot of birds besides like vultures and shit eating the flesh of dead animals. I mean, I guess like worms and bugs, sure, but... What is going to scratch a worm or a bug? Well, what if a worm is like eating the flesh of zombie parts that are falling off a zombie onto the ground? And the worm eats those, and then the worm is now infected, and the bird eats the worm. I know. But that's going off the basis that you can get the infection by consuming the body of a zombie. I will tell you from my personal experience that dogs with zombies would, just in life dogs <laughs> would be the first to get bitten especially yeah. if it's like my dog because he would just run up and be like "Ooh, pet me and then just get bitten <laughs> right away <laughs> and then therefore would run up to everything else and mm-hmm. start biting it and it would just it would oh be a gosh. massive infection dogs are gonna have to go first do you think There's that a zombie, zombie would have a pet dog zombie oh maybe do zombies maybe? have pets Again, depends upon the rules established. Are zombies intelligent in any way? Or are they just flesh-eating monsters? It depends oh, upon nice. what franchise you go by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically well, what we're great. saying is, like, it all depends. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Again, the rules Do are really important. Maybe. What's the, I guess, what's the creature that you'd want to survive the longest? I don't say Cats. humans. Now, humans have already destroyed this planet. If a zombie apocalypse happens, it's probably our fault anyway. I want cats to survive. 
If it does happen, that's still our fault even more. And then more zombies would take over. Ugh, it'd be bad. You'd want cats to survive. I I think, you know, fish. They're just around there doing their own thing. (laughs) Not messing with us. So they don't come on the land and start fishing us. So, you know, fish are good. They can survive. Because they haven't adapted because they're lazy. It's because they're weak. They're weak. They got no arms. (laughs) Idiots. Can you imagine a fish with arms? Basically a T-Rex. I'm pretty sure there's probably a uh, Spongebob Square Pants episode about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hundreds. What's that, guys? What's the, the... The was that a hammerhead shark? Uh, it was uh, it was SpongeBob. That's who you're thinking of. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, my bad. I mean, what kind of expeditions have been done in like the Bikini Atoll area to see how the radiation of nuclear weapons testing has in fact oh. affected species in the water? Oh, Let me. Um, That's what SpongeBob is based off of. I know. I'm saying IRL. Oh, oh. <laughs> Do, um, I mean. <laughs> hey. Oh, hey, James. Yeah, what's up? Oh, Avatar. <laughs> that yes, good, awesome. So we have this question here about underwater diving in the Bikini Ave. Oh, you haven't been there? Oh, oh, never mind. All right. Well, take it easy, bro. Yeah. Sorry. That didn't wow. work too well. That was a power <laughs> move right there. Just calling up Damn. your boy James like that. Holy shit. I hear he's well, done some underwater expedition in the Atlantic and found some historical interesting things, but not yet out in that area of the Pacific. Yeah. Wrong ocean. Well, I'm sure you could just write a movie about it and be like, hey, you know what? I can make it up as it goes along. Because that's why he wrote Titanic, right? Was so he could go yeah, explore. Exactly. Man, I, I wish I had a passion that was, first of all, I wish I was good enough at something that I could have a passion project where I am still doing the thing I'm good at, but it's just an excuse for me to do that passion. Like if I wanted <laughs> to go explore all of the roller coasters in the United States to make a movie about a roller coaster that kills people or something. And as part of my research, I just had to go on all these roller coasters. That would be great. That is basically what my boy James has done. I need to visit CERN in Europe because like, I feel like you so many of holes. my stories will eventually have something to do with either CERN directly or something around the area or something that they are researching that, you know, for scientific inquiry purposes, I'm going to need to tour your facility and don't hold anything back. Thanks. What's in CERN? <laughs> the Large Hadron Collider. Oh, I should have fucking known. <laughs> <laughs> fucking nerd, bro. I was going to say... Uh, LHC, as we like to call no, it. The Ludwig Gorenison, he, I mean, he traveled, I don't know to what part of Africa, but he traveled there and hung out with a bunch of the different tribes and learned their music, so... God, I hope I don't get this wrong. I think it was Swahili, but I'm not sure. But he did that for the Black Panther score. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch those videos? Months. No, I've heard about it, you know. So this is secondhand information spewing like we always do. Those people, like when he was like sampling them, because a lot of it was just raw sampling that he turned their music into an orchestral score Mm -hmm. rather than like the other way around. They're so freaking good at what they're doing, and it usually only took them like one or two takes. He'd be like, "Here's the character Killmonger, and here's like what he's about," and then boom, they just come up with something on the spot. 
it was so fucking fascinating. And oh, that's, that's how <laughs> the Black Panther soundtrack was made. So that's what you're saying is that you want to be able to yes. travel all around to make yeah. all of the different Music. soundtracks for stuff we haven't written yet. I'm, I want to make Star Wars music. I want to go to the Redwood Forest. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I'm doing next summer. So. What? No! Yeah. That's unfair. Well, you going to elaborate? As, as long as it's not. Yeah. So Aaron and I are going on a trip next summer. And after we get back from the East Coast, we're going to drive up through Sequoia National Park. And then we're going to go all the way over to the coast and see the Redwoods. And then. I drive up. It's gonna look. It's gonna look cool. That's actually. I'm very jealous. Big old, big old honky trees. <laughs> oh, the honkers! I love going to you know old growth forest, which you know all my forestry professors will smack me around for using that term with the old big trees because it's not the, the, what an old growth forest is. But whatever. Um, I love seeing ancient trees and how just massive they are and how different they look. There's a spot uh, that we went to a couple hours away. That has these western red cedars that I think are about 400 years old. They're just massive, just super round. That spot that we went to, and there was those big trees, and I was measuring them in North Carolina. Yeah, I was the about to Joyce ask. Kilmer. Okay, yeah, cool. Okay, oh, yeah, that spot was amazing, and yeah. it's 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 funny because the pictures that we took did not do it justice for how massive the trees were. Yeah, like just being there in person, you're like holy crap you're looking up you're like it doesn't end so i love those it's fun there, there is a quality about a lot of movies and tv that i watch where i don't sense the size or scale of something like that where if they're supposed to be a massive monster like godzilla or any kind of kaiju you don't understand how epic they are in proportion i think it's a really hard thing to shoot and to frame how big some of these objects actually are, whether it be a really old growth tree or whether it's going to be, you know, a, a giant monster. And I, I, I can't think of an example where I've felt awe about the epic size and scale of something. I, I think that's probably why they shoot them in these big cities, because so you can understand, well, one, how much destruction they can do, but two, just the absolute massive size of them. I, do I do have a get that. Point? Yeah, yeah. But just go downtown to, in a big city and look up at the skyscrapers, and you go, "Oh man, that is huge!" And then when you yeah. look at Godzilla, you go, "That's even bigger." <laughs> but while watching the movie, you just don't get that sense of scale from the ground perspective of something crazy going on behind you. I I think this is a a massive problem in movies and a massive problem in video games and. I actually think that like Godzilla versus Kong did a wonderful job establishing a sense of scale. Same with the first reboot Godzilla movie, because there was so many ground shots where like you were mm. your the perspective of the camera was right there with the people. And what was in frame sometimes was just a foot Godzilla's foot. And you're like, oh, my gosh. When they're on the bridge on the train in the first one, that was so scary to me. Because like, you could like feel just how massive these like the bug creatures were or whatever. It's also it, at least how I feel is camera movement is unbelievably important. Like if your camera movement is moving super duper fast across to show like these 
these oh let me do a 360 around like godzilla it's like that's impossible nothing's gonna move that fast but if the camera is moving super super slowly you're immediately establishing that scale by like showing oh yeah like this quote-unquote helicopter that we're filming on is taking a really long time to get around godzilla it's all about like trickery of how you're filming it in perception so yeah what about lord of the rings this is a different type of of sizing and scaling but the idea of having species who are way 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 shorter than your standard human height i feel like they did a decent job conveying that size difference yeah they they definitely did especially the way that they filmed that um, using a lot of practical there's a the scene in the first lord of the rings where they go into like the, the Hobbit house, it's Gandalf and Frodo there. That table, I believe they're like 10 feet apart. So they're not across from each other, right? So they're 10 feet apart and they have tennis balls hanging up, showing where they should look so that they can like uh, keep this, whatchamacallit, optical illusion Scale. going. Because in reality, even though it looks like they're looking right across from each other, you know, the, like Gandalf's super, super close to the camera and Frodo's all the way back there. And they're what they're doing is they're using like a screen cut, I believe. And they have like people passing big props to Gandalf or or no, sorry. Frodo has like huge props right next to him to convey that he's super small. And then Gandalf has the smaller props and stuff like that. I, I believe Lord of the Rings is unbelievably revolutionized like the practical effects in movies i love it i love what they do you guys should watch some of the vfx breakdowns or just scene breakdowns i don't know if they necessarily revolutionized it they were just using the old techniques that were there i mean yeah the the before there was any kind of computer graphics they had to use that to convey you know anything kind of strange or magical anything that you couldn't do by drawing it out you would have to use practical effects for and i love practical effects i still i love movies that do practical effects nowadays there is something very special about them i do like it when they blend a combination of practical and cg nowadays because it can bring it up to that little bit of layer that you know gives it a more realistic feel Mm -hmm. i was thinking for something about a sense of scale that I thought of when you were talking about video games was playing Breath of the Wild. And when I was on a distant mountain, I looked off into Death Mountain there and I saw something moving on it. And I went, what is that? And I zoomed in on the camera and I said, that looks like a spider or something crawling around Death Mountain. And as I got up there further in the game, it is one of the divine beasts that you actually have to fight. Uh, We don't have to, but It is one of the divine beasts that you can fight. And I remember when I was looking from so far away and I see this big thing crawling around the mountain, I go, well, that's kind of tiny. But as you get up close and you realize how big Death Mountain is in that game and you start scaling it, all I could think in the back of my mind was whatever this beast is, is going to be massive. And it, for some reason, having that juxtaposition of really tiny in the distance, something large, and then getting up close personal and realizing how big it was going to be that conveyed that sense of size better than anything else. I think I've experienced in a video game. Well, breath of the wild's use of transportation too is absolutely brilliant. Like 
you are not getting into super, super high places really easily and traveling across a map in two seconds because you're almost you're always on the ground. And that makes this it is a massive map, but it makes this massive map feel even bigger because you're taking your time slowly traveling across it. I can make the comparison from like everyone makes a comparison from GTA to Cyberpunk. Those maps are relatively the same size. But GTA has planes, they have helicopters, and you just flying across the map makes the map seem much, much smaller than it actually is. Cyberpunk, you're always in a car or you're always walking, so the map feels instantly that much bigger because you're never seeing it from a top-down view. And I think a lot of video games, like when you're, when you're grounded a lot of the times and you're barely in the air, or like if you're using air travel minimally, it's, it makes the, feel, the map feel much bigger. So I, I love that in video games. I will say that um, I really like when in Assassin's Creed, you're doing the um, the tower views. I forget what they're called. I'm not a true gamer. <laughs> what is it called? The like eagle view. You know what I'm talking about? Assassin's Creed. You go up to the tower. Nobody tell her. <laughs> I hate you. Anyways, I can't remember what it's called. When you're sinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I thought it was called something in particular. Eagle vision. But yeah. Oh, no, Eagle Vision is something else. Never mind. Right. Anyways, when you have to go up to these towers and it helps to kind of expand the map, I really, really like that scale of just seeing like, oh, I, yeah, I ran down that street just like a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Like, I really like that kind of visual distance sort of uh, representation because it, it is really nice to see this huge map that I do mostly just running and a lot of failing on, but from a distance and a big overview. So moving on to something completely different, Mike, I heard that you have a religion that you want to create. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> when doesn't he? I mean, doesn't everybody? Before we move on with this, I remember discussing that in, in the car with you, Mike, I remember discussing about you cr- wanting to create your own religion. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember you saying that this will be in the textbooks. This will be something all children must learn is the, the mic religion. And that had, me, that had me cracking up. So, yeah, that's preamble to what you're going to say. To be honest, the only reason I want to create a religion is for personal gain. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. So, like most other time. religions. No, 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 no. This, this will be different. Uh, this is small personal gain. And I highly encourage anybody to join the Church of Mike. That's it. That's all you got. Starts on Mike. I, you it's know, name progress. pending. Yeah, we don't question prophets. Okay, mm. we just let them prophesize, and that's what I'm going to do. I have an overall life goal, and my life goal is a little bit more ridiculous than most people's. I want to have a really awesome name, and my name one day will be Saint Sir Doctor Michael James Gilgan the First Esquire. And if I can get that done, I will be the coolest idiot in the world. And that is entirely my goal. That is so I was trying to figure out how do you go about creating these names? I am never going to get sainted unless I create my own religion, which is the first step. So step one, I think it's easier to create my own religion and then saint myself than it is to try to appeal to another religion and have them saint me. Especially because in most of them, you have to already be dead before you even qualify for sainthood. 
Yes, and we have living saints in the Church of Mike. Oh. So I need about 5,000 followers uh, in order to officially create a religion. So that is, that is step one. We are going to use the profits from that religion to buy an island that is not linked to any country, and we're going to make our own small independent nation, and then I will knight myself, because of course I'll be president of that island, and then I'll knight myself, and then I'll get the sir. So I got Saint Sir. Uh, For doctor, I might actually get that one legitimately, so we'll we'll have to see what happens in the next couple years. If I don't... Uh, I'm sure a fat bribe from those religious prophets will definitely work. <laughs> Michael James Gilgan already got that down. Boom. Three names the already first, on my way. You've already got that. Ooh, so here is a question, and I don't know the answer to this. Uh-oh. I, if, to be the first, you have to have a second, I believe. I don't think that you can actually be the first without with being the only, because it's stupid. That just doesn't make sense. You are right. the first. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I feel like oh oh oh. But here here's the more difficult problem. Uh-huh. Can you be the first if there's not a third? Because otherwise you'd be senior and junior. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> no. Wait, wait, wait. I feel like that is today based on personal preference. No, it's got it's there's a there's an air of legitimacy to this name, Missy. We're not going to scar it up by personal preference. Okay, but I've had uh, families I've known where they hated the senior junior thing, so they intentionally go by the first and the second. Well, those families are wrong. So, what I'm going to have to do <laughs> is I'm going to have to adopt an adult, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to legally change their name. To junior, I don't care if they're older than me or younger or whatever. <laughs> but I'm also going to need to have them sign a contract saying that they're going to make their name Michael James Gilkin the third. So I'm assuming one of my cult, I mean, religious followers will absolutely want to oh, do that. Oh, that'd be a yeah, great absolutely. honor to be named after Saint they may get Michael. Who knows? Oh, I might oh. Name them. who knows? Oh my knows? goodness! There you go. I Anybody from their them. line that continues that will also get sainted but then yeah yeah if the person to cut it well they get cut from the religion gotta have consequences now legitimately the hardest part is going to be the esquire yeah i mean nobody wants to go to law school yeah i have to go to law school and then open up my own practice to be an esquire wait what if okay oh god what if you started in your little island country a university, right? And you've created your own laws based on your religion and based mm-hmm. on the laws that govern your island, mm-hmm. which is probably also the same laws as your religion because I'm Continue. seeing theocracy in your future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you set up this law school and it's just about learning the laws of the religion and then you can get your own law degree based on your law school. Mm. Boom, Esquire. I do like that. I do like that. If I and legitimately if you get... set up your own practice, you practice your own religion. Yeah. Saint Sir Doctor Michael James Gilgan the First Esquire's Law Practice. <laughs> Come oh, in, God. ask questions about the religion he founded. Oh, no. <laughs> and something to do with trees. <laughs> it's I just an island full of trees. I think you should... A really big building. Uh, your religion should have something to do with trees. 
<gasps> yeah, what is okay? Yeah, what's gonna be the religion though? That's the thing. It's like, yeah, you're gonna found everybody a religion, loves me uh, unconditionally. <laughs> no, no, I will reveal more details. But first, I need to find out if people are actually serious about learning. How much does it cost to prove how serious we are? Cost is not the problem. <laughs> it's it's oh. it's covering the expenses of the test. Oh. Yeah, I'm not profiting off this. Um, uh, so why would I, I? I do this I for just, the people. Yeah, if you were serious and you really want to learn about the Church of Mike, then I just need a nominal fee of $183. If you want to... specific. Yeah, if you want to send that over, I will be able to start the process where I can administer a test to see how serious you are, and I can slowly delve into a little bit more details. Is this going to be like the Sigma male test? No. 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 I might need a little bit more than $183 now. Like almost my entire monthly for, income at this point. Like, four easy yeah. payments of sixty nine ninety nine. I think you meant to say $69.99. No, I, I said what I said. I just wanted to make it a little silly. He's got to be sort of serious. No, legitimately, uh, my religion would probably be founded upon community, faith in each other, doing the right thing for your neighbor, helping out the environment, making me a saint, <laughs> allowing me to buy an island. Oh my gosh. With the money. Law. Too, too <laughs> Communal island, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's going to be so many rabbits on this island. You guys have no idea. There's going to be rabbits, rabbits everywhere. Unneutered rabbits. <laughs> rabbits everywhere. <laughs> if you want to go to oh, Bunny God. Island. <laughs> Isn't that a thing in Japan? <laughs> Probably. There's a lot of stuff in Japan. <laughs> there's a cat island, wrong. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I was I thought it was like cats. cats. I yeah. thought that would be one of the tenets. You have to like cats and there'd just be cats all over this island. I was surprised to mm. learn about the bunny aspect. No, no. The only way to have a cat on the island is to be one of the upper church members, uh, which you get by being very devoted and uh, you have to rise to a, another level of this uh, religion. Okay. So it's difficult to get to. It takes a lot of practice. Please An increase me. in faith gets you closer to mm-hmm. cats. Please yeah. tell me that these, these increased faith members are wearing the cats around their shoulders at all times. I can't tell you that because you're not one of those members yet. So, unfortunately, some of the information can't spill out. It looks like when I become part of the church, I'm going to have to make some reforms. Uh-oh. Well, Uh-oh. the he fact that it says... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say looks like, as in it could be. And I don't like that attitude of could be. It has to be, I want to be part of this church. Here is my $183. And then that's all you ever say. No reforms. <laughs> uh, Okunoshima. It, it's Okunoshima? Bunny Island in Japan. Oh. I knew it. Can I get in for free since I gave you free facts? So what makes a good religion <laughs> in a story? That, that is a difficult thing. If you're creating a story, because I've thought of several Actually, aspects I... of religion that I want to put in some of my stories without obviously being like, this is Christianity or this is like Hinduism. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to create my own. But outside of the tenets of the religion them 
the religion itself. How do you write characters that believe in that religion? So I'm currently reading a book that has to deal with uh, there's three suns and there's never any nighttime. I think there's like a day of nighttime every three years or something like that. So the main religion that they have in there is, and I'm going to botch this, I can't remember, but it's basically like the Holy Father and like all of the sons are considered gods from like way back when. And so it's like the holy light and it's all about the sons itself. So when you're creating a story, you can do it where it's, you know, based off of off of like the planets in your story or if there's like a unique feature like that in your story uh, the kind of opposing religion to like the holy light is the mother of darkness <laughs> and the main character is part of that and she murders people for a living that's like what she does and it's actually really good that's a terrible retelling of the story but you can do you can do religions like that where it's it's based off of kind of something natural that occurs in that world yeah, yeah, exactly. Something natural that already uh, occurs in, in that world. Um, if you want to do it where it's just like, okay, it's Christianity, but relabeled, I think that that's very easy to do as well. But it also depends upon if you're going to make religion a an enemy or a... Ally? Ally, yeah. I was like, yeah. what's the fucking word? A yeah, an enemy or an ally. Um, so I... I'm like this is it's bad guys I'm like losing my memory rapidly um, so yeah if you're going to make them an enemy or uh, an ally I think that also depends upon how your religion is going to look um, so do you want to make the religion evil or do you want to make it uplifting you know and that can kind of help with the idea of do you want to make it like Christianity or not <laughs> uh, or any religion yeah certain tenets maybe yeah yeah. i think something that makes it successful can be like if the story isn't necessarily focusing on a religious aspect like a cult or the focus isn't on faith itself but you want religion to be incorporated somehow into the story a lot of times it's the little subtle things the little background things like having certain icons or symbols, or this is gonna sound, this is the wrong word, but paraphernalia, right? Like having stuff on the walls, on the bookshelves, a little shrine in the corner. You know, people do some kind of prayer or meditation at some point in the story. Maybe it's going on in the background, you know, and it's not really the focal point of whatever that scene is, but you incorporate it into the daily lives or routines of your characters without focusing on it too much. Yes. And it's a natural way to kind of weave it into a story and build a bigger, more in-depth world. I 100% agree with that. I think it it comes a lot more naturally that way. And that way, if like if you were to introduce more religion into that story, you already know some parts of it. I feel like Game of Thrones did it pretty well because they were always talking about like the gods and everything in this. And then all of a sudden, oh, there is an actual religion. Like there's multiple different religions that believe in these gods and that gods. And it wasn't just like thrown out of nowhere. I feel like it was slowly. These ideals were crept into the story and your brain was like, oh, okay, that's good. So I feel like what you said really good. Oh crap. There's another thing I was going to say. I don't know. It'll come back to me. Okay. Well, so my next question is, how do you get people addicted to your religion? Wait, I feel like... Wait a minute. <laughs> they... 
<laughs> you know your your characters tutorial. in the the story that you're writing. Oh, how how do you well, how do you get them addicted to their religion? Let's just say it was it was like a it was like a real world situation. I, right? I feel like this are they an enemy or an ally to the main hero's cause? Well, they better be an ally to the main hero's cause. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, no, because you could set them up with a faux religion that. If it's an an enemy that they worship some religion with a bunch of tenets that are the opposite of what you actually want them to do, mm-hmm. so like reverse psychology, you trick them into doing Interesting. something the way you so want. So you're it saying by having an enemy doing the opposite, the inhabitants of Alligator Island, mm-hmm. who have the religion of Matt, let's <laughs> let's just say, <laughs> and they believe in eating bunnies. Would be a, a, a you know antagonist, and all I have to do, I mean, all this, all your character, <laughs> religion has to do, is convince people that alligators and Matt is bad to get them mm-hmm. on your side. Oh. Yes, not just on your side, but also like now we want to protect the bunny, we want to save the bunny, the bunny. Well, is you, good. we didn't say bunny, but you know, it's fine. You said but that the alligators are eating the bunnies. Alligators are eating the bunnies, and Matt approves of that, and we don't like oh, Matt. I Matt's meant, a bad I meant, dude. I meant buns, like hot dog buns, like bunnies. That's how I say uh, multiple oh, hot dog okay. buns. Buns, right, yeah. yeah. And so okay. so then, you know, y- you or, or this character in theory would get their allies to recognize the evilness of the alligator's dietary practices under the leadership of a guy we'll call Matt and that's bad right and they're all rallied up but then you've got this other guy who comes along say for the sake of of time Michael and Michael advocates protecting buns right saving buns buns are good buns are nice we like buns and Michael's gonna be the hero of buns so now all of a sudden these people are really into Michael because he stands for everything they believe in what if just off the top okay well you're on an island anyway so you're gonna definitely need some subs and i'm not talking about you know these regular subs i'm talking about subliminal messaging you need plenty (laughs) of that in your religion because let me tell you does it work not only that (laughs) but i think if you were to establish like let's just say for example in this make-believe world you need to establish religion that people they they want or that's not too far-fetched so for example i hate shit on these guys spaghetti monster dudes who believe that there's pastafarians yeah yeah that's too far-fetched at least that's how i feel not relatable to most people exactly something like a rabbit on the other hand kind of exactly so i do like your idea of subs can we call them like moths or something like if somebody brings like 12 moths you go like oh thanks for the 12 moths and then (laughs) you know somebody could give you like 57 and you just like shout out there are 57 moths you're like oh hey thanks for the 57 moths man really appreciate it but i really want what i want you to do with these subliminal messages is i want you to make them as obvious as possible so like so like you're I don't going, think I can do that. You're going to subliminally obvious Penn Island, and people are like Penn Island. I'm like Penn Island, and they're like, "Wait, what? What are you trying to say? I don't know." It's like coming to Penn Island, and I want you to keep repeating it and be as noisy as possible with it. Is that all right? Okay, yeah, I could. 
absolutely scream and repeat things that people want me to say because they give me something in return. Like moths. See? Like moths. Give me give me give me a couple moths, you know. Give me your subliminal messages of moths and I will enjoy it. All right, this is this is this is done. Let's move on. <laughs> Basically, people, all I'm saying is if you want to support us, join the Church of Mike. Name pending. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were talking about uh, in stories. If that you want so more stories ago. about the Church of Mike, yeah. Uh, yeah. Amy, where can they uh, support us at? Oh, you can support us on our Patreon, or you can hit us up over at 1L2N Productions on our Twitter. Yeah. It's a small and fee I'll, of $180 to get into the Patreon if you want to join the religion. $183. $183. But huh? who's, who's counting? Um, <laughs> I actually had something cool. I had something cool this happened this week, which I did want to talk about. When I was young, I'm just going to be a, a slight side story. I was working at a musical instrument store. And I discovered the Spin Doctors, which was a band. And I really enjoyed their CD. I thought it was, you know, different than anything I'd heard. So I put it on our pro audio system to test out some speakers because I thought it was a really well-produced CD. And my friend there and another boss came in and started laughing at me for listening to the Spin Doctors. And it really hurt because I was like, I really enjoy this. And they just you know, gave in to me. They, they, how could you like the spin doctors? That's so stupid. That one moment stopped me from sharing my musical preferences with a lot of people for nearly the rest of my life. Like I don't tell a lot of my friends what I listen to. I don't tell normal people what I listen to. And I didn't realize it until very recently that I let somebody's laughter at what I enjoyed take over my life. And the reason why I say that is because I am going to a natural resources school. And typically the student that does natural resources is very, mm, what's the word, <laughs> stereotyped. And I, I just, I, I never felt comfortable sort of sharing the fact that I love classical music. I love video game music. I love orchestrations and all that. I have a friend at the school and he asked me, what do you do for hobbies? And I told him, I want to write stories and compose music for it. Now, specifically classical music, stuff like film scores, all that. And he went, no kidding. I've done that almost all my life. Before I went to school, that's what I loved doing. And I absolutely love that stuff. And he shared a classical play with, list with me. And I've listened to a bunch of stuff that I've never heard before. And we started going over tips. He's super passionate about audio recording. And I was like, how did I never know this before? This is crazy. And my hesitance to share what I like prevented me from knowing somebody that's closer to me and, and finding out that there are other people that enjoy the same things that you do. And I was stupid for many, many years to reject the idea of sharing things with people to say, you can't do this because somebody might not like it. But I guess I've gotten to the point in my life when I have finally gotten over that. And I've said, you know what? This is what I'm going to share. And I, this is what I like. This is what I enjoy. And it only paid off for me. Worst case, he would have been like, that's cool. Yeah, classical. That's stupid. And what? I would have moved on. So I'm saying all this because I think that 
oftentimes we are too afraid to share with people what we want to do in life, what we're passionate about. And I think that in order to make something positive and to contribute to change, we have to share that with people openly and willingly and not be afraid of them saying, that's the stupidest thing you've ever heard and moving on. Share what you love and have fun doing it. So, yeah, don't be afraid to tell people about, you know, certain island adventures that you want for your future (laughs) because you're afraid that they're going to say, I don't have one hundred and eighty three dollars. Like, don't let that hold you back. Yeah, they'll get the money eventually. Yeah, I think it's I, I think you bring up a good point, like especially for people who tend to have more creative angles with life. It it is often looked down on by broader society. Oh, you're autistic. Oh, you like creative, whatever, instead of the logical, whatever, or the physical, you know, athleticism or whatnot. It's just looked down on as if it's if not uh, adequate enough, not good enough to be considered mainstream. And so a lot of people tend to look down on themselves because of how other people treat them. And get to that point where they're unwilling to share who they are with people. And I think it's really important for those who are into creativity, whether it's, you know, visual art or audio or the, you know, written art that you are willing to put yourself out there because that's how you build community. That's how you build allies. When you find each other, like Mike, how you found somebody in your life that who knew, right? Like it, there's something so amazing about that. And and you've just expanded your world a little bit, your personal community a little bit. So yeah, I encourage everybody to put it out there. Yeah, it can be scary, but it's worth it, I think. Find new people. Uh, I also feel like this is something I completely struggled with uh, was, well, it was also at a time where I was trying to figure out who I was and what my place was in the world. And I feel like I figured out during that time, it's like, I should be, I should not have to apologize to people for things that I like. Like, okay, we may not share the same passions, but if, if I'm going to share something with someone, I, that's what I like and I should own up to it. It's like, yeah, that's what I like. And if someone makes fun of me, that's their problem. It's not my problem. I, I can like whatever I like, but I also feel like, this is a give and take type thing. So if someone is sharing something that I really don't enjoy or I think is kind of stupid, I don't want to deter them away from sharing that because that is their passion. And I want them to share their passion just as much as I want to share my passion. So a lot of times it is sometimes I I, I feel as if I learn something completely new about the things I didn't originally like from people who love them. And I'm like, you know what? I've come to appreciate and understand why you love what you love. And that helps a lot. So it's, yeah, don't be, don't be apologetic for what you like, like it, own up to it, love it. And at the same time, listen to other people because sometimes that's good. I I think that is probably the, the biggest advice you could give is don't be afraid to listen to why people like the things they do. Absolutely. Even if you don't know. You know, I see cars a lot of times driving around with like a bunch of anime stickers all over them, and I don't get it at all, but I'm not going to knock that person. They obviously have something they're very passionate about, so I would just wish I could have a conversation and try and figure out what is it about that specific thing 
that you just don't care if the world knows you have to share it. And usually those people have some very interesting stories and some interesting insights that if you have an open mind, you can learn a little bit from. I I definitely feel like <laughs> like the anime lovers are 100% unapologetic about loving anime. And it's kind of cool oh, to absolutely. see. It's just like yeah. you don't care what other people think about you. And you know what? Like props to you for that. You just love what you love and you don't care about it. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's nice. I do think that there are appropriate situations to share what you love and not share what you love. Well, yeah, I'm not saying anime stickers on a car is an inappropriate situation. But if you are in a business meeting and you are, you know, dressing in a way that's wrong or, you know, distracting from the overall group, that is obviously a point when your passions need to be a little bit quieter. But yeah, yeah. It, for the most part, when you're on your own time, do your own thing. Have fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's uh, interesting you, you uh, mentioned anime. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but with discord the school servers just went live like a week ago so if you are in i don't know if they do it for like high school or anything but if you're in college uh you can now join the student hubs for your school so i've been like looking at my college every couple of days to see what new groups are forming in it one of the very first groups that formed in it was an anime group and we've only got maybe a couple hundred people in the entire school that have joined the server and there's already like 35 people signed up to the anime club yeah I'm like wow there's <laughs> it's so fast. every high school that i know of around here has an anime club and it's student-led it's like they're just like yeah if you want to have a club lead it have fun teach people about it don't do stupid things and there's so many people that go to all these clubs and everyone loves it. It's like, you, again, unapologetic about what you love. And it's really cool to see, actually. So, Speaking of anime, now that I brought it up and thought of something, I love the Cowboy Bebop anime. I thought it was great. And then I found out that they're doing more Cowboy Bebop. And then I found out this week that it's a live action version that's apparently going to be very true to the comics on Netflix. And now I'm extremely interested in it. I had absolutely no idea. If you're not familiar with Cowboy Bebop, it's like space jazz western. Think of it like The Mandalorian, but with lots of jazz, kind of. That's a, <laughs> I need to watch it. I, yeah. It's weird. They're bounty hunters, kind of. Like, I can't even explain it. It's great. It's so different. It's had some extremely strange episodes that swing drastically mood-wise. But the fact that they're doing a TV series... That is apparently going to be released later. That's live action. Uh, it's got me very interested. I think the thing that draws people into anime is that you can do so much creatively with it. There's not the restrictions of there's not the restrictions of like a big budget film. There's the restrictions of like the money to to create the artwork, but you know you don't have the restrictions of like how are we going to film this or where are we going to film this. You can just roll with it, and and I think that that's why it appeals to so many people because there's so many different wonderful sci-fi and fantasy different stories that are able to tell with anime that i don't know i, I think are, are really cool and and uh really unique hmm. and really fun i was the person who was like ew anime ew weebs and then i started <laughs> watching like various different animes i was like oh i kind of get it 
this is like really fun. <laughs> it's it's nice because a lot of the anime that I've been watching is just one season. It's like 20 to 30 episodes. And that's also really nice because, you know, OK, I'm getting into a story that's not elongated. It is what it is. This is the story. It's not stretched out for extra money. That's always fun. The art style is is very in instead of emotionally based, it's very energy based. So it could be a single frame of like a person moving left to right. But like the lines they draw around this person conveying the amount of energy that they have. is It's very interesting the way anime is drawn. So it's I don't know. I think anime is pretty great. And I, I think uh, sometimes by people like me get a, it gets a bad rap. According to Wikipedia, Cowboy Bebop is a Japanese science fiction neo-noir anime television series set in the year 27-1 that follows the lives of a traveling bounty hunter crew in their spaceship called the Bebop. It draws most heavily from science fiction, western, and noir films, and its most prominent thematics include existential ennui, loneliness, and the inability to escape one's past. There's a lot going on in that. That, that, yeah, it sounds it's, good. it's so weird. I think the reason why I enjoyed it so much is that the era of anime that I had seen up until that point was stuff like Dragon Ball Z, which is a lot of filler. It is. It was not created for a Western audience. It was adapted for it. And it was difficult for me to get into that mindset of, you know, just sitting down, watching an episode, moving on. Cowboy Bebop was like 24, 26 episodes, something like that. Single series has a kind of overarching story that happens through a couple episodes and then has some one-off episodes. One of the creepiest episodes I've ever seen is if you've watched the show, it's one of the creepiest things I've seen of anything. It is this giant fat clown killer assassin guy and they or specifically the main character hunts him down in this amusement park, I believe on Mars or something. And it is so strange. Something happens at the end and the assassin gets a piece of equipment or a wall or something. I can't remember. It's been a long time. It falls on him and the assassin just grins the entire thing. He never says anything. And as soon as the wall falls on him, he just starts screaming for his mom. And it is so creepy immediately. And you feel like really weird watching it. And I loved it because it was such a unique emotional experience that I've never seen in a, uh, you know, animated style kind of like that. And then you have other episodes where they are doing just ridiculously goofy teenage humor, which is fun. And I'm talking, you know, 1998 teenage humor, but still it's a a great show. I would highly recommend watching it. Send me your anime recommendations that are something not Cowboy Bebop, but something that is not. A thousand episodes and <laughs> 980 of them are filler. Yeah. Ugh. And it tells a unique story and has unique animation. I'd love to see that. So, audience, if you have anything, please give me some recommendations. I'm going to give you three, uh, all pretty short. Death Note, really wonderful. I've been telling everyone to watch that, but Death Note is insanely good. Parasite, uh, a little weird, very anime, uh, but it's still pretty fun. And then. Everyone's heard of One Punch Man. One Punch Man was like 11 episodes, really, really short. But that one was also pretty fun. So, Hmm. yeah, I I barely watched anime. Wait, hold on. 
have I been thinking the wrong? Is there an anime called One Piece? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a thousand episodes? Yeah. Or something crazy? Oh, man. I, for some reason, thought One Punch Man was One Piece. In my mind, they were the same thing. And so I never, ever wanted to get into One Punch Man because I was like, there's like a thousand of them. I don't care. Well, I think if I'm in the like the manga and all the cartoons there there is like a thousand comics or something ridiculous like 200 comics of one punch man but in the anime they're like no we're just we're gonna shorten it down because a lot of it was very superhero-esque like you know copy paste stuff Mm -hmm. but instead in this anime they're telling just a short story which is really nice it's but not the one a thousand. It's nine hundred and eighty-one episodes of One Piece. Okay, calm down, guys. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Well, and compare that to One Punch Man, which is I think it's like two hundred in the comics. I could be wrong, though. You heard it here, Tommy. Could be wrong. <laughs> well, he, there's this. I think there's that's just the first season. Is there going to be a season two? Oh, maybe there is. I you know I th- I respect shows, movies, anything yeah, that comes out with something and says this is it we're not doing any more we could do more but we don't need to it makes it so much better when you keep things interesting and you make the audience want more than it is to go ahead and keep putting out stuff where people go okay there's so many sharks that have been jumped that we don't want to watch this anymore 100 percent. then the good place even the good place only oh, has four seasons, but they specifically say, everyone's like, oh, I can't believe it got canceled. And they're like, no, it didn't get canceled. They stopped it because they decided that, you know what, this is enough. This is as far as we want the story to go. And if we push it any further, it's just not going to be good. And and we want to end on a high note rather than a low note. So I actually really respected that, that they only had the four oh, seasons. Yeah. I thought that that was really good because then it, it didn't die a horrible death. It died yeah. a hero. Rather than turning into the villain. Exactly. Leave them wanting more. Which, if if you want something that was 100% meant just as like a one-shot, Death Note. I think you'll enjoy Death Note the most. Okay. Sweet. Oh, yeah. Out of everyone. Yeah, Mike would, I feel like, really enjoy in, it. In about a year, my truck is going to be covered in anime stickers. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, that's right. People are really like, this guy is weird. He looks like one of us, but... He is one of them. One of- <laughs> Instead of one of us, one of us, it's one of them, one of them. Yeah. All right. Well, th- I think I think we're wrapping up here. Uh, thank you guys for joining us today. I know that was a bit of a shorter episode than normal, but we're glad we took you took your time to come along for this ridiculous religion creating ride. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you want to reach us, we are on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Reddit, and we are 1L2N Productions, all one word, and we would love to hear from you. And if you like what we're doing and you want to show your support for what we're doing, you can head on over to our Patreon. So that means that it's time for last word of the day, and I forgot to roll the dice, and I'm so sorry. Hold on. I'm going to... Okay. Mike! Take it away. I want you to look deep within yourself, and I want you to realize that your life is meaningless without the church of Mike. If you think that you could be a part of this, just please send $183 to 1L2N Productions and make sure that you put the note, save me. (laughs) 